You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. just like Peter. There's a little bit of Peter in all of us, you know? And there's a little bit of John in all of us, too. Bring down fire on them, Lord. Bring it down now. A little bit of Andrew in all of us, too. Bringing people to the Lord. Showing the Lord's grace. There's a little bit of a Nathaniel in us, too. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? We all have a little bit of these guys in us, and I think that's why he chose them. But his response, Peter's response, you will never wash my feet. You will never wash my feet. If Jesus were to come to you wanting to wash your feet, what would your response be? Today, Pastor Dave asks if your response would be similar to the Apostle Peter's, you will never wash my feet. Would you be comfortable with this intimate act, or do you realize you should be the one washing Jesus' feet? Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 13 as he continues his message, The Sovereign Servant. of John. We're still in chapter 13. Turn to the Gospel of John chapter 13. We are going to be looking specifically at verses 6 through 11 in John 13. 6 through 11 in John 13. Let me read aloud if you will follow along silently, please. Then he, that's Jesus, came to Simon Peter And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed need only to wash his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So after last week's study, I was coming across this biography of D.L. Moody that I was reading. And I want to open with a passage from that biography written by Gary Inrig. It's called A Call to Excellence. It's a biography of the legendary evangelist D.L. Moody. Let me read, if you will. A large group of European ministers came to one of D.L. Moody's Northfield Bible Conferences in Massachusetts in the late 1800s. Following the European custom of the time, each guest put his shoes outside his room to be cleaned by the hall servants overnight. But of course, this was America, and there were no hall servants. Walking the dormitory halls that night, Moody saw the shoes and determined not to embarrass his brothers. He motioned and mentioned it the need to some ministerial students who were there, but it was met only with silence and pious excuses. 
Moody returned to the dorm, gathered up the shoes, and alone in his room, the world-famous evangelist began to clean and polish the shoes. Only the unexpected arrival of a friend in the midst of the work revealed the secret. When the foreign visitors opened their doors next morning, their shoes were shined, and they never knew it had been done by D.L. Moody himself. Moody told no one, but his friend told a few people, and during the rest of the conference, different men volunteered to shine the shoes in secret. And then he concludes with this. Perhaps this episode gives vital insight into why God was able to use D.L. Moody the way he did. Moody was a man of a servant's heart, and that was the basis of his true greatness. I love that. I love that. It's the epitome of what we started to study last week. And what came to my mind is when Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest, you must be the least. You must be servant of all. We began chapter 13 last week as the disciples and Jesus gathered for what would be known as the Last Supper, their last meal together. The other gospel accounts tell us that Jesus wanted to celebrate this Passover meal with his disciples, so they found a place called in an upper room, and they all gathered together. And upon entering the upper room, the disciples situated themselves around the table. So what was the seating arrangement at Jesus' Last Supper? Well, we can find a few things out about the seating arrangement. Now, we can tell through Scripture where they sat. Scripture tells us where these guys sat. We know that John was close enough to lay his head on the breast of Jesus when he asked them, Lord, who was going to betray you? That's Scripture. We know that this is the seat of the host. This is traditionally the seat of the host. Jesus was the host of the dinner. This seat right here, well, that was the guest of honor. That would be the guest of honor. This seat over here, well, that was the lowest seat. Now, my question is, did Peter run in here and get this seat? Did he run in here before everybody and get this seat to make himself look good at Jesus, thinking that he would be the lesser of all and take the lowest seat? Well, we don't know. But you can see that they're not seated at a table like Leonardo da Vinci painted. They're not all together. They're not sitting in chairs because they didn't. They would lounge in pillows. This table would be very, very low, and they would have pillows where they could, could lounge on the table. It was seated there. And although the Bible doesn't directly state where people sat, from the things that I told you, we can deduce where they sat. We know that Jesus was the host who would sit in the second seat. That's a traditional place for the host. Judas probably felt he deserved the seat of honor. He held the bag. He probably thought he was paying for the dinner because he probably let the money out and made the arrangements of some right. So he would choose that. And again, we think Peter ran to that seat to make himself look good in the master's eyes. As Jesus and his disciples gathered that day for the Passover, and as they were taking their seats... And all through the meal, according to the Gospel of Luke, the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. I wonder what that argument sounded like. I mean, 
This is where my mind goes, folks. I'm sorry. But I wonder what that argument sounded like. And maybe you can guess who said what. Let's play a game. Did one of them say, I'm the greatest because I brought more people to Jesus than you did? Andrew? Oh, yeah? I'm the greatest because I'm more spiritually. Remember, I called him Christ, son of the living God. And then they all chimed in. Yeah, and then he called you Satan. One of them probably said, well, I'm the greatest because I'm the one he loves. And then they probably said, oh, yeah, Mr. Thunder and Lightning, fire from heaven guy. Mm -hmm. He even rebuked your mother. Maybe one of them said, well, he trusts me with the money. I'm sitting in the honored seat. I have to be the greatest. And then the other one chimed in, I walked on water. And they yelled back, yelled back, yeah, and you sank like a rock. <laughs> and so on and so on. You know, I get with a group of pastors from now and then, and this sounds like what happens at a group of pastors' meetings, unfortunately. You meet these pastors, and the first thing they want to know is, well, how big is your church? And I always say, three well, how long have you been doing this? Oh, 25 years. And it's only, you know, they want to know how big their church is. They try to think that they, they, they're trying to compare. And we get in this fight of, you know, who's the greatest? Well, you know what? I don't know. Only the Lord can decide. But Jesus heard this argument. He heard everything that was going on that day. He constantly heard this, and he knew what was in their hearts. But he never got disappointed. He never got upset. He never riled back at them. In fact, I believe that the entire time this was happening, he was sitting there smiling, shaking his head. I believe that when Jesus would say, oh, ye little faith, he was smiling and shaking his head. I don't believe he said it sternly. I believe he just kind of went, oh, ye of little faith. But in a very short time, Jesus displayed such an act of humility that he gave these men an unforgettable lesson. And during this unforgettable lesson, it rebuked their selfishness and their pride just by the act in which he did. After supper was over, he got out, took his garment off, girded himself with a towel, took a basin, filled it with water, and began to wash their feet. Then he would dry them with the towel that was around his waist. As he made his way around the table, I bet you could hear a pin drop. See, they didn't have cell phones back then that would go off. I bet you could hear a pin drop. I bet all of them were sitting there like, what's he doing? No one would say a word. They were staring at him in disbelief. All except Peter. All except Peter. Now, laser. You can see when Jesus started, he probably went this way. He probably went this way. So as he was coming around, notice whose feet he would wash first. Then he would come around here and he would finally get to Peter. As he was making his way around there, I'm sure Peter was getting more and more and more annoyed. He couldn't believe that Jesus, the son of the living God, was washing feet. 
He couldn't believe that the master was going from person to person washing feet. And he was getting annoyed. He was getting angry. Why didn't they stop him from washing their feet? Why didn't somebody say something? How dare they? What's going on? I'm not going to let him wash my feet. There's no way. When he comes to me, I'm going to say something. I'm going to stand up and say something. Peter couldn't believe it. The son of man, the son of God, taking the lowest place and washing feet. It was unheard of. Peter couldn't believe it. By the time Jesus got to Peter, got around here, don't know how long he spent with each person. By the time he got to Peter, Peter was ready. Peter was ready for him. He was ready. We pick that up in verse 6. Then he came, Jesus came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Maybe Peter thought that he was the greatest, and Jesus didn't need to wash his feet. We don't know what was going on in Peter's mind. Maybe he thought that Jesus was testing them again and wanted to see somebody stand up and say, Lord, don't wash my feet. Let me wash your feet. Maybe he was thinking those kinds of things. We don't know. But Peter did not understand what was happening. He didn't understand. Jesus was in teaching mode. He had a lesson that he wanted to teach not only Peter, but he wanted to teach all the disciples, and he wants to teach us as well. A lesson that he wants to teach to us. A lesson that we need to realize what is happening. So Jesus answers him in verse 7. Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing now, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. You don't understand, but you will. It's almost, it's almost as if Jesus is saying to Peter, cool it, Peter, I'm in the middle of a lesson. Let me finish and I'll tell you what's going on. Be patient. Cool your jets, bud. Hang on. But you know, Mr. Impulsive, Mr. Outspoken, you know, Mr. Peter, he's got to say something. Be patient. But Jesus, thinking that all the other disciples failed the test, wasn't about ready to fail this test. So he speaks boldly again, once again, Mr. Peter, stick your foot in your mouth, speaks out. Look what he says in verse 6. You will never wash my feet. Those are bold words. Peter, you will never wash my feet. Well, as we look back on the life of Peter and his interaction with Jesus, we find that many, many times Peter had stuck his foot in his mouth. If you didn't get when we were going through who was the greatest bit, it was Peter that said, Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God, when they were in Caesarea Philippi. This beautiful profession of faith, led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus even says, Flesh and blood didn't tell you that, but my Father in heaven, the Spirit told you that, Peter. And then he says, And upon that profession of faith, I'm going to build my church. Notice, it wasn't upon Peter. It was upon his profession of faith that the church is built. Upon that, I'm going to build my church. And after he said that, he turns and says, and the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem. He must be treated harshly by the scribes and the Pharisees. And he's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified and died, but he will rise again. I paraphrase that. but You can read that in Matthew 16. What was Peter's response to that? He had just got finished saying, Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God. After Jesus told them that what was going to happen to him, he said, far be it from you, Lord. Far be it from you. 
That's when Jesus looked at him very calmly and very politely said, get behind thee, Satan. No, I think that time Jesus said, get behind thee, Satan. Thou art an offense. All you do is care for the things of man. So Peter had a habit of doing these things. Man of transfiguration. Lord, it's good for us to be here. We should hang out here for the rest of whatever. Let's build three tents. One for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. This is a great place to be. I love the fact that Jesus never answered him. He just started down the mountain. You know, you want to stay here, Peter? Go ahead. I'm going down the mountain. It's interesting, though, that you think Peter changes after Pentecost. He does in a way, but what I love about Peter is he has this habit of sticking his foot right into his mouth. He's on top of this beautiful building, praying to the Lord, and the Lord lowers this great big sheet down in front of him with all kinds of animals. He says, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's response to the Lord not so, Lord. So Peter has this habit. But you know what? I think we're all just like Peter. I think every one of us is just like Peter. There's a little bit of Peter in all of us, you know? And there's a little bit of John in all of us too. Bring down fire on them, Lord. Bring it down now. A little bit of that. A little bit of Andrew in all of us too. Bringing people to the Lord. Showing the Lord's grace. There's a little bit of a Nathaniel in us too. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? We all have a little bit of these guys in us, and I think that's why he chose them. But his response, Peter's response, you will never wash my feet. You will never wash my feet. Maybe Peter was uncomfortable with having Jesus wash his feet. Maybe Jesus wanted to say, hey, Lord, I'm not worthy of this treatment. Remember, remember on the boat in Luke, when Jesus appears on the boat and tells them to cast the nets over one side, they've been fishing all night, and he says, cast your nets on this side. And Peter comes back, we've been fishing all night. There's nothing out there. And Jesus says, cast your nets. And Peter said, okay, but he cast one net. He didn't obey completely. He cast one net and they filled so many fish in there, they couldn't put it in there. What was Peter's response? Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinner. So Peter's back and forth, it seems like. You'll never wash my feet. Maybe he realized he should be washing Jesus' feet. Maybe that's what he realized. We don't know what was going on in Peter's mind. But Jesus' response is crucial. His response is crucial. Look at the second part of that verse. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. In these words, we learn such an important lesson. We learn that the cleansing work of Jesus Christ is necessary, if not critical. It's necessary, if not critical. Why? We cannot clean ourselves. We cannot clean ourselves up. We cannot cleanse us from our filth. We cannot remove our own sin. We can't do it. Our feet must be in his hands. Our feet represent the dirtiest part of our lives. Our feet represent what we do, our walk, how we act. It represents those. To place our feet in the basin of Jesus is to place the filthiest parts of our lives into his hands. Lord, you need to cleanse this because I can't. We have to let him do the washing. 
Somebody said the water of the servant comes only when we confess that we are dirty and need cleansing. Another commentator said only when we confess that we are caked with filth and have walked the forbidden trails can we be cleansed. We must confess. But we all tend to be proud like Peter. We tend to have this pride in us, this sinfulness of pride, and we say, I'm not that dirty. I'm not that dirty. Just a few drops is all I need. But it's such a lie because we're nothing but filthy, sinful people. We are sinners saved by grace. Sinners saved by grace. John's going to say this in his epistle, his first epistle, in 1 John 1, 8 and 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in us. My brothers and my sisters, my friends, my loved ones, we have to come to grips with just how dirty we've been and how much Jesus has cleanses us and how he continues to cleanse our lives. In 1 John 1, 9, he says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Peter answers the Lord in a typical Peter way, the way you would expect Peter to answer. He looks at how he says in verse 9. Then Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my feet and my head, everything. Pour that bucket over top of me. you got to love Peter, you know. He wants to be fully washed. He was still reluctant to let Jesus do what he wanted to do, but Peter wanted to tell Jesus what to do. His pride was getting the best of him. Don't just wash my feet. Come on, have at it. Douse me. But once again, he, Peter comes to a point of submission, even in a weird way. He says, wash all of me. It is kind of a point of submission. It's kind of like when Jesus told him to lower the nets, plural, and he lowered one net. It was kind of a submission. It was kind of a halfway submission. But Jesus takes that. Jesus will take whatever you give him. He will take whatever you can give him. Whatever you can allow him to have, he will gladly take it. I love what one commentator said, quote, Sometimes we show a servant's heart by accepting the service of others for us. If we only serve and refuse to be served, it can be a sign of deeply rooted and well-hidden pride. Man's humility does not begin with the giving of service. It begins with the readiness to receive it. For there can be much pride and condescension in our giving of service. Wow. We need to be willing to receive, to receive from service. So once again, Jesus takes control of the situation. And he says in verse 10, Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are all clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. What is he referring to? What is Jesus referring to here? He's referring to our daily walk. He's referring to our constant walk with Jesus. I walk in filth. It's a filthy, rotten, dirty world out there. And we walk in it. If I don't allow him to cleanse me, I have no part with him. We must continually have our feet washed in an ongoing relationship and trust in Jesus Christ. First John, when we read that scripture, his blood cleanses us. It means continually cleanses us. It's a continually cleansing. What Jesus is saying here is that we walk this path through the world. We pick up defilement here and there from the contact of the world. But the defilement is only on the surface. It's just washing your feet. As long as your feet are washed, that's all you need. You are assured. 
The book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, but the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start. So many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- 884-5821. Keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to A Sure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A Sure Hope.